0: Good evening. The Old Testament lets us know that something had to pay for the sin of Adam and Eve. Something. And after they had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and they were separated from the Lord God clothed them with an animal. Blood was shed in their place. And their nakedness physically was covered. Something had to die. And that act set up the Old Testament sacrificial system where the blood of lambs and bulls and goats would be used for atonement to cover the sins of the people but technically those things were insufficient ultimately because those things those some things had to point to someone who would die in our place For our sins and because of our sins, someone who qualified, someone who was perfect, blameless, sinless and righteous, he died in our place. He took our debt and our payment and our penalty, our punishment because he loves us. He loves us. Isaiah chapter 53 says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken and they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. God bruised and crushed his son so that we would not have to be. Amen. So when Jesus entered into time and space through Virgin, the Virgin Mary's womb, he lived for 33 and a half years. And his entire earthly life really came down to that last week. That last Friday, because on that Friday, so many things would happen to him that would give us hope for the things that happened to us, because we have a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. So on this Friday, he stumbled under the weight of the cross. To help those of us who stumble every day. He staggered on this Friday 2,000 years ago because he knows that we stagger in our walk. He was lied on, betrayed, spat upon, mocked, beaten, forsaken, whipped. And he did all of that because of his love for us to set us free. Friday is good for us, but it wasn't too good for our God. As the son drank the cup, where he would be separated momentarily from his father as he bore our sins in his body. He sweat great drops of blood on Thursday night because of that cup but he endured the cross and despised the shame. Tonight we're going to sit down in the weight of Friday. We know Sunday's coming and we thank God for Sunday, but we're not gonna rush past today. Today must sober us. Today must humble us. Today must even silence us as we contemplate how blessed we are because of Christ. Tonight, seven speakers are coming because although the lamb was silent, he did say a few words as he hung on the cross for approximately six hours from 9 a.m. till 3 o'clock p.m., our time, he said a few words, a few last sayings. And the Bible records those, and tonight we have some wonderful men and women who are going to come and take a moment and expound on each one of those sayings. Alfreda Harris is going to share, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, Dante Williamson is going to share, today you will be with me in paradise. Gary Bell is going to expound upon woman, behold your son, behold your mother. Janetta Jones will articulate, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we'll take a moment together because this is a worship corporate worship service we're going to sing again we're going to be sung over again and we're just going to be reminded about the blood of Jesus so we're going to take a few moments just to thank him for the blood and then Anita Charlton will come and she will speak on I Thirst followed by Will Anderson who will speak on It Is Finished with Leslie McGillberry Including with, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, when Jesus was on the cross, for a span of about three hours, the earth went dark. The earth went dark. And to symbolize that tonight, we are asking each speaker to come after having spoken to extinguish one of the candles here until all seven have been put out. And we will be left together in darkness. And what I want you to do is as the candles go out and even the lights go out after Leslie speaks, we're going to sit in the darkness, okay? We're going to feel it as much as we can. And the worship ministry is going to sing a final song for us just for me. Jesus came and did it just for me for me and we're going to sing in the dark the only thing that will be illuminated Lord willing will be the cross behind me on the wall and after that song is finished please hear me on this that we may stay in the somberness of the moment I ask that we would depart quietly and respectfully that we would not speak until we get in our cars so not in the parking lot because I want us again to walk away feeling this as much as we can you know we serve a God who encourages us to remember what his son did by communion as often as you do this do this in remembrance of me and communion we must remember the body being broken the blood being shed and so God is saying in this Good Friday service remember my son May we all be humbled this evening by the extent of his sacrifice. So at this time, I'm going to ask our first speaker to come, Sister Alfreda, followed by every speaker. Um, They will come in accordance to their time on the schedule.
1: I'm
2: really very happy to see everyone this evening. It's been a long time. So I will expound on the first of Jesus' seven sayings on the cross. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that comes from Luke 23, 34a. And as Pastor Chris has already shared, this is Good Friday, Friday before the Resurrection. And by now, Jesus has prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Pastor Chris alluded to that as well. And he was grieved. His disciples, they they deserted him. He wanted them to watch and pray with him, but they couldn't. They fell asleep. Judas betrayed Jesus, and Jesus was arrested. All of his disciples, once again, they deserted him. Peter denied Jesus not one time, not two times, but he denied Jesus three times. Jesus had been through several trumped-up trials, about six of them, just made-up trials, and they had uh, presented false witnesses to lie on him. A crown of thorns were placed on his head. I have a crown of thorns at home I meant to bring, and I forgot it, but I made it myself. And I had on gloves and long sleeves, and I still came back home all pricked up with blood on my arms and blood on my hands, but I was determined that day to portray what exactly had happened to Jesus. But I can't imagine it being pushed down on your head. The people cried out, one more, Pilate released Barabbas because the people chose to release him instead of Jesus. And he was um, in prison for insurrection and murder. They flogged Jesus. That was about 40 licks across his back. And it went from the top of his shoulder to his torso. And they put a robe on him because they were mocking him. They put a reed in his hand and they led him away, they led him away to die. Isaiah 53, seven says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Crucifixion was one of the most demeaning, degrading forms of punishment. It was invented by the Persians, perfected by the Romans to inflict the greatest amount of pain over the longest period of time. Both hands and feet, as you know, were nailed to the cross the same hands that blessed little children, the same hands that had healed leopards that nobody else wanted to touch were nailed to the cross. These weren't the type of nails, y'all, that you build a house with. These were spikes. I, I forgot that too. I meant to bring it. These were these huge seven to nine inch spikes that was nailed in our Savior hand. All of this had happened to Jesus, who was innocent and had done nothing to deserve what he endured. He endured a criminal's death, but he was innocent. Jesus' first saying on the cross wasn't a plea for help. He didn't curse those who persecuted him. He didn't ask to come down. Instead, I was on his mind, you was on his mind, the whole world was on his mind. So he prayed for us, that the Father will forgive us. And he said, because we don't know what we're doing. Now, who could ever muster up that kind of energy? When I get a paper cut, I don't want to talk. (laughs) But he mustered up that type of energy from all that pain and suffering. And you know why? Because he loves us. He loves us. The whole point of his incarnation was forgiveness. It was the very thing he was dying for. Forgive is a verb, and I looked it up in the Webster Dictionary. I looked up the Greek definition of forgiveness, to pardon, to overlook an offense, treat the offender as not guilty. That's what Jesus was asking for, for us, to send the offense away, to reject it. That is not to put it on the offender. You no longer hold it against someone, a wrong they have done. You dismiss the charges. They're dismissed. The guilty party is no longer obligated to you because of a wrong you have done. This is the very forgiveness Jesus prayed for, for, the, for those who put him on the cross. And exactly who are those who put him on the cross? All our sins. It wasn't just the people who were there persecuting him, but it was all of our sins that put Jesus, we are every bit as guilty as the men who actually drove those nails through his hand. Every person who have trusted Christ and received his forgiveness nailed Jesus to the cross. We have done and received that forgiveness and remission of sins, which was won for us right there on that very cross on Good Friday. Jesus gave us a perfect example to follow. Is there someone you need to forgive? One may say, but Jesus, my ancestors were stolen from Africa. They were packed in a ship like sardines. They were brought to America, and they were enslaved, and they built wealth. And this wealth has been passed from generation to generation, and some people have that same wealth today. Should we forgive them? And I can hear Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Someone else may say, well, Jesus, he killed my family members and he was never punished. Should I forgive him? Forgive them. Others may say, I thought she was my friend and she stabbed me in my back. Should I forgive them? Y'all get what I'm saying? Yes. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Many others may say they were terrible parents. This one is a little tough. The very people who should have loved me, abused me mentally, physically, and sexually. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He divorced me for another woman, and he cut me deep. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. I deserve the promotion. I had worked really hard, and they gave it to somebody else. Father, forgive me, for they know not what... I was hurt by the church. The very people you told me to assemble. You told me over in Hebrew to assemble with your people the saved people and i was so hurt father forgive them for you know not what they know not what they do okay lord i can see forgiving others but what about forgiving myself what about i'm what about forgiving myself lord i messed up bad i did some bad things i had abortions I had a child out of wedlock. These are just some of the things that you may be thinking. I had four or five husbands. Forgive yourself because you don't know what you're doing. Jesus called you to forgive everyone, including yourself. This type of self-destruction interferes with your life, your purpose, and destiny God has for you. You may say you're setting your ways. You've been like this all your life and you don't easily forgive. If you are saved, you have a power within you to forgive. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in you. So pray and ask him to enable you to forgive. I have to do that. <laughs> I have to do that. Jesus exemplified perfect love and forgiving. We are called to do the same. An unforgiving spirit can cause a hardened heart Towards others, emotional bondage. Your joy and freedom in Christ will be limited because you harbor resentment. It can have a paralyzing effect on your life. Ephesians 4.32 says, and be kind to one another. tenderhearted." Now let me emphasize this. Forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ has forgave you. If you're like me, sometimes you don't want to forgive because if you do, it means you were you wrong about something. But let me just share this with you. Being right is overrated. Mm, Forgiving is Christ-like. And and God didn't wait on us to change to forgive us. Sometimes we're waiting around on people to change. We want them to come off drugs. We want them to stop running around. And we want them to um, do something they really can't do on their own. But Romans 5 and 8, and this is one of my favorite scriptures, but God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were what? Yet. Yet sinners, Christ died for us on Good Friday. Now, this is Christ-like forgiving. When you can love someone that is sitting in their sins. And I want to leave you with three words that I saw on a billboard when I was um, either going to Atlanta or coming back from Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. It said, forgive like Jesus.
3: Thank you, Miss Alfreda, for that word. That was good. Being right is overrated. That's true. That's good. Well, today I'm giving a word on remember me. Remember me. Everyone say remember me. Remember me. That was weak. Everybody say, remember me. Remember me. You see, when Jesus was on the cross in Luke 23. He was on there, and he had two criminals next to him, one on the left, one on the right. One criminal was kind of tripping, and the other one was just simply like, Jesus, can you remember me when you went to your kingdom? And so there's something special about that one criminal who just simply said, Jesus, remember me. How simple he said that, Jesus, remember me. Everyone say, remember me. Remember me. Everyone say, prayer. prayer. You see, prayer is important. And that criminal, in that passage, he teaches us a lot about prayer. And not just prayer. Oh, Jesus, thank you for coming down. And No, the simplicity of prayer. You see, that lesson is you don't have to pray long when your prayer is sincere. I'm going to say that again. You don't have to pray long when your prayer is sincere. When your prayer is from your heart. Quickly, everyone open up your Bible. If you got your phone, get your phone out. Turn to Luke 23, verse 39. That's Luke 23, verse 39. I'm giving you 20 seconds. I'm a teacher, so I, I time my students. So you got 20 seconds. 19, 18. Luke 23, verse 39. And it starts saying, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. You see, when our prayers are heartfelt, when our prayers are real, when our prayers are simple, when they're genuine and unpretentious, they can be short, they can be easy. That criminal's prayer was straightforward. Jesus heard his lament, Because it came from his heart. The man said what he meant, and he meant what he said. Jesus, can you remember me when you enter your kingdom? Just remember me. Everyone say, remember me. me. That's all he said, and as a result, he inherited eternal life. You see, it's funny, because God often communicates that same way to us. I'm going to say that again. Oftentimes, God communicates that same way to us. And sometimes God will speak to us with one word, one sentence, one phrase, maybe something like go, you need need to go, Maybe, maybe stop, stop, maybe chill, just relax, flee, you need to get out, you need to go, give, give that person something, or maybe even pray. He may say a phrase like, don't quit, get a job, find community, don't date that person, write that book, go to church, make that song, preach my word. See, these simple commands are enough for us to hear from God. They're simple. And while we're waiting on more revelation, God is expecting us to just act on his simple word that he gives us. It's easy. It's concise. It's clear. If God can speak to us like that, we can speak to him in simple ways as well. You see, Jesus warned his followers about, you know, making those long, ostentatious public prayers just so people can look at you. They're looking at you, but they're not looking at God. Come on, Come on, Come on, you're praying these prayers and you're using these big words. And, you know, yes, your vocabulary is amazing, but is that coming from your heart? Because again, the man on the cross, it came from his heart. He said, Jesus, can you, I, I messed up. I'm a criminal. I was tripping. God, can you just remember me, please? When you enter your kingdom. even like when peter was walking on water and he began to sink he didn't say jesus i'm i'm sinking can you please resurrect me out of this water and save me god and place my feet on that solid ground no nah, man peter said what he said lord save me it was clear and simple it was concise and Jesus answered that prayer, and he saved Peter's life. A pastor named James T. Meeks said in a sermon once, your prayers are precious to God. And I'm here to say, yes, our prayers are precious to God, but I feel like they're even more precious when they're heartfelt, when they come from my heart. Jesus wants to talk to you. Psalms 5:2 says, hear my cry for help, my king, my God, for you I pray. It's funny because, you know, the devil, one thing he wants to conceal from you is how valuable heartfelt prayers are. He wants to hide the fact that your prayers, your heartfelt prayers, that's valuable to God. Mm. Satan does not want you to pray. He wants you to take those things that are in your hands, and and he wants you to keep them, and he wants you to, you know, hold them in and be right, like you said, Ms. Like. Mm. But when you turn it over to Jesus, that wasn't good. When you turn it over to Jesus, when you turn those prayers over to Jesus, you take it out of your hands and you place them in his hands. Jesus, remember me. When you walk into your room and you close your door and you fall on your knees, you turn off your lights like we're going to do later and you pray. That's when it's real. That's when it's coming from your heart. Only God can work out those prayers. When they're sincere and they're simple and you're not babbling, you're not talking too much. You see, God sees that. He sees your heart. He listens to you. He hears you and he'll bless you. So what is your prayer today? What is your cry today? We all have something that we're working on right now. Something that we may be struggling with. Is it Jesus, help me, I need help, Jesus. Is it Jesus, forgive me? Is it Jesus, heal me? My body's sick. Is it Jesus, employ me? I need a job right now. Is it Jesus, show me? Jesus, save me. Jesus, hold me, Jesus, revive me. Jesus, guide me, I need help, I'm lost, guide me, God. Jesus, restore me. Jesus, pray with me. Whatever it is, fill in that blank. I want you to get your phones out right now. Get your phones out right now. And I want you to put it in your phone. Whatever it is for you, Jesus, blank me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, take care of me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, hold me. Some of you guys, just, you just want to be held. Some of us, we just, we need a job. Jesus, employ me. I need another job. I'm falling behind on my bills. I need something. God, Jesus, employ me. Jesus, protect me. Some of us are walking into jobs. We need protection. Jesus, deliver me. Jesus, wash me. I'm I'm dirty right now, God. Cleanse me. Whatever it is for you, Jesus, blank me. Lock it in. Put it in your phone and pray on it. Don't just lock it in and go about your way. When you get home tonight, pray on it. However long you pray, whether it's five minutes, five hours, pray from your heart. Your prayers are precious to God when they're sincere and they're real. And he's listening, and he's ready to intervene. And by the grace of God, paradise awaits. Thank you.
4: Good job, nephew. (laughs) Simple prayers. Amen. Well, good evening, family. My name is Gary Bell, and I have the honor of sharing with you the third statement that Jesus made while he hung on the cross. And it comes from John 19, verse 26 through 27. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. These are great verses. Pastor Chris, thank you for asking me to be able to talk about these verses because I had a great time over the last week or so as I just dove into these verses and tried to understand and hear what the Lord wanted me to share. The main point is we see that Jesus is 100% God and in his deity he saves our souls but he also is 100% man and in his humanity he provides for our well-being while we're still on earth. So let's just take a step back and just look at these verses in the context of what Jesus was going through over the last couple of days. And so Jesus was tortured spiritually, emotionally, and physically. He was tortured spiritually. While in the Garden of Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John, Jesus looked to the disciples and said, My soul is deeply grieved and distressed. So he was tormented in his soul. And he walked a little farther. And then the Bible says he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So he was tormented. And Luke even talks about his sweat becoming like drops of blood falling down to the ground. So do you see Jesus's anguish in his soul being tortured spiritually? Jesus was also tortured emotionally. Jesus poured into 12 disciples, 12 men, sometimes 12 knuckleheads, for three years, only to have one of them, Judas, betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And one of his closest friends, Peter, deny him, as I think Sister Elfrida said, not once, but three times. Now, if you've ever poured into somebody with your heart and you've mentored them and you've tried to disciple them, only for them to then turn around and kind of kick you to the curb or not want to keep the relationship, you know how hurtful that is. You know how emotionally torturing that is. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. He was even rejected by his own people when they asked Pontius Pilate to free Barabbas, a known criminal. And they said of Jesus, let him be crucified. So he was denied and he was rejected by his own people. But Jesus was also physically tortured. As Sister Alfreda talked about, they took the the crown of thorns and pressed it on his head and into his flesh. They spat on him and they beat him. The Bible says that they flogged him and they whipped him. I don't know if any of you saw Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, but in there they have a scene where Jesus is being flogged. And I went back this week and looked at the five to seven minute scene there, and in there it shows the Roman soldier, hitting him with the cat of nine tails. Now, the cat of nine tails are cords that are woven together with the handle, and they're nine separate cords. And on the, uh, on the tips of the cords, sometimes they put metal, so that when it hits you, it inflicts more pain and more damage. And in, this, and in the movie, it shows the soldier hit Jesus, and the, the, um, the metal was lodged in his side. And so he rips it out and rips off parts of Jesus' flesh. Jesus was so exhausted at the end of all of this as he's carrying his cross to be crucified, he couldn't even carry it. And the Roman soldiers had to grab an African, Simon of Cyrene, in order to help Jesus carry his cross. And we know that he was crucified, and he had spikes driven through his hands and through his feet. So do you get the mental picture that I'm trying to paint of Jesus in the context of these two verses? There he was, hanging on the cross, suffocating, because that's how you died from being crucified. You suffocated. He's being tortured spiritually, emotionally, and physically. But yet, he was able, in that moment, to be able to look out in the crowd and spot his mom, Mary, and look at her and also find the disciple who was nearby, John, whom he loved, and say, woman, behold your son. And he looked at John and said, John, behold your mother. In his deity, he was in the middle of paying for Mary's sins, yet in his humanity, he was providing for her well-being on earth. He does the same for us. I think of the song that we sang as children, red and yellow, black and white, we're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children and the big children of the world. But not just, he didn't come just to save our souls but he comes to provide for our well being before we get to heaven so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Family, we serve a great Savior. Amen.
1: Got so caught up, I forgot to get my microphone. Um, I'm Janetta Jones, and I will be speaking on Matthew 27 46. Um, when Jesus called out to his father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we think of Christ being crucified, just as uh, Gary was talking about, and even thinking about um, the movie The Passion of Christ. And the timeline between when those who arrested Jesus came for him in the Garden of Gethsemane, leading to his death. I know for me, we may tend to focus on the physical torture in our minds, the embarrassment of our king standing naked before people who wanted him dead to shame him, to torture him, to mock him. And yes, all of this happened we in our human form can only somewhat process and conceptualize the physical and emotional distress that Jesus experienced. Now, what we may tend to overlook when focusing on the physical aspects of the crucifixion is that Jesus had to separate himself from everything he had ever known with his Father. God the Father and God the Son had never been separated by time or existence at any point in eternity. Nothing had ever come between them. Now, Jesus knew he was going to be raised in three days. He knew he was not ultimately forsaken by God. So I believe when Jesus said these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because he was experiencing this separation from God for this first time in all eternity. You see, God cannot roll with sin. He can't hang out with sin. He is holy. That's his nature. God and holiness are one. They go together like wet is to water, like hot is to the sun. God and sin just don't go together, and they never will. But sin is a part of who we are. That meant that God could not roll with us. He could not hang out with us. So God had to turn away as his son, who was without sin, took on sin of every single person in this world since Adam So I'm a numbers person, and I like to kind of keep it simple, and I kind of think of things in that manner. So it became really real when I looked up to see how many people are in the world in 2021 alone. There are approximately 7.8 billion people in the world this year. The heaviness of each of our daily sins just in this year alone That Christ bore in his body from each of us, from our sin, all that was absorbed by Jesus on the cross. This was the only way God could have any relationship with you and I. The only way that he could roll with us or us roll with him, if you will. You know, do you get that, like, sin cannot exist in God's presence? So Jesus' loud cry of Eloi, Eloi, lama sakbatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, speaks this truth. He endured the separation that you and I so very much deserve. God had to turn away in sorrow and deepest pain when he saw the point to how far sin had bought us. When God saw what sin had done by sending his son to the cross, God had poured out his wrath on his son as his son bore the sins of the world. My sins, my mess, your sins, your mess. The other 7.8 billion people in the world in 2021 alone. Everybody from the past years and everyone from the coming years. All of that he absorbed to his body. So as God had to momentarily turn away or forsake his bludgeoned, crushed, sin-carrying son in order to turn his face toward us in love for all eternity... I don't know about you, but this truth encourages me so much. And Jesus went through being forsaken by God so that we would never know what it feels like and to provide a way for our salvation.
5: My name is Anita Charlton. Oh, I guess I can take this off. I get used to it. I don't even feel it anymore. Uh-oh. It's such a blessing to be here tonight. This is just amazing, just to sense God's presence and what you said. You know, Jesus, consume me. I don't want to be full of myself anymore. I want to be full of the Lord. I want to be changed into his image, into his likeness. No more of me, but more of him. You know, no more of this world, no more of the ugliness, no more of the strife and the anger. But we need to be Jesus. We need to see Jesus. People need to see Jesus, the real Jesus, not the religious. Well, my scripture is John nineteen twenty-eight, and I read it from the Passion Translation. Jesus knew that his mission was accomplished. And to fulfill the scripture, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Psalms 22, 14, and 16 says, now I'm completely exhausted. Every joint of my body has been pulled apart. My courage has melted away. I'm so thirsty and parched. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And now you lay me in the dust of death. They have pierced my hands and feet. To me, everything about Jesus's life was about purpose. When I think of Jesus on earth, I think of these words. Perfect focus, always intentional, never distracted, much sacrifice, always giving, intense love, fiery compassion. The words I'm thirsty were to fulfill scripture, but they were also real. He wasn't just checking off another one of the prophecy to be fulfilled list. He lived every part of his destiny out. Distractions keep us from being aware of our need for his continuous filling and cleansing of our souls with his living water of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know true satisfaction from being thirsty and never needing to look any further for a drink again. He relieves anxiety, fear, hopelessness, depression. That's why he says, come to me. I challenge you, my double dog dare you, to ask him, not anybody, not pastor, not me, but ask him to quench that thirst to really satisfy you from longing for the things of this world because they're only temporary quenches, but to ask him to quench the thirst that only he can. Starting in John 4, 6, the Samaritan woman at the well asked where she could find this living water and Jesus replied, if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink. And I would give you living water. If you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again. But if anyone drinks the living water that I give them, they will never be thirsty again. For when you drink the water that I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, flooding you with endless life. And the woman replied, Let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again. And this is what he wants for us he wants to complete all of our longings. No man, no woman, no material thing could accomplish this for us. So stop looking for the next newest thing, the next coolest thing, the next high, the next relief. These things only temporarily quench our thirst. If we're intentional with our relationship with the giver of life and be accountable, he'll keep us from the things that will try to tempt and lure us away from his peace and enable us to remain satisfied. It's all in him. There's no need to look any further. He is the one. I believe he had an even deeper thirst. He thirsts for our friendship, our fellowship, attention, devotion, admiration, and loyalty. He wants all the attention. He wants to reveal how perfect he is and how his love is the ultimate love. And so I just wanna close with a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the spirit of the living God. Forgive us for ignoring your calling, calling us into your deeper waters, calling us closer to you further from the familiarity of our comfort zones and our traditions. Forgive us and give us an insatiable desire for your word and for your presence. As we behold you, we're changed into your image to be a light in this world. You gave your all for us. You gave every fiber of your being for our souls. You gave us your all. You died for us. Help us live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.
6: Good evening, church. My name is Will Anderson. I don't recognize most of y'all because my wife and I started attending this church well over a year ago, but it was about six weeks before we entered the end times. (laughs) So if you're not in my small group or in the worship band, I don't know you yet. But I look forward to uh, our escape into the promised land, and uh, getting to know more of you face to face. Before uh, my wife and I came to Strong Tower, we spent four years at a little Missionary Baptist Church where I was an associate pastor uh, in uh, in Germantown. And so this, uh, this B3 is, is one of my love languages. And so uh, it was, uh, It was was balm to my soul when I walked in today and I heard the organ. John 19, 13. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. A sinless life of perfect obedience and love for the most vulnerable of society choked out in a torturous public lynching, perpetuated by a corrupt religious power structure in collusion with a brutal colonizing empire. It is finished. My guess is is that for those of us who heard him that day, for those of For those that heard him utter those words it it sounded like an admission of failure my guess is that for those who were still there at the cross it sounded something like i did my best but now i gotta admit it's over Before we jump to the joy of Easter morning, it is necessary to sit in the pain that comes with seeing and experiencing the power of brokenness in our world. On that Good Friday, there was no upside. The few remaining family and followers watched as the man that they believed to be the promised Messiah said, it is finished, and breathed his last. I don't know about y'all, but this past year, there have been moments when I have felt the weight of Good Friday. In the midst of the symphony of sorrow, there have been moments where my soul has resonated deeply with the cry, it is finished. And thus I must confess that there have been moments where I have bristled against a type of Christianity that only has good news that comes later, but has no good news for the here and now. There have been many points this year where I thought back to something that happened in 2016. Actor Jesse Williams was receiving the Humanitarian Award at the BET Awards, and during his acceptance speech, he said, now freedom is always coming in the hereafter. But you know what, though? The hereafter is a hustle. We want it now. I felt that this year. I believe this is a reasonable critique from Brother Jesse because very often we as Christians place the significance of the work of Christ simply in the metaphysical or spiritual realms. We limit his victory to an eternity that starts after death or within a soul that is often separate from a body and a situation. So when Jesus declares with his final breath, it is finished. What all comes under the banner of it? In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16, the Apostle Paul writes, For in him, that's Jesus, all things were created, things on heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace or bringing shalom, causing flourishing through his blood shed on the cross. The Apostle Paul is seeking to be ferociously explicit that there is nothing, that exists outside of the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ, and that through the cross, all things, all things, all things are being reconciled. Thus, I believe that when Jesus says, it is finished, the it he is speaking of is not just his earthly ministry. It's not just his life in incarcerated or in incarnated flesh. But the it he speaks of is all that is broken, which is being made whole. All suffering is being turned into flourishing. One of my favorite verses in all of hymnody comes from the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World. It's a line many of us sung many times. It says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He's come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. As the truth of the gospel spreads, so does justice, so does peace, so does liberation so does flourishing, so does joy and belonging. And not just for the soul, but for society. Not just for the body, but for the budget. For ecosystems and economies, for the personal and the public. Wherever there is brokenness, that is where Jesus has sovereignly declared, it is finished. And there will be restoration and reconciliation. Wherever the curse of sin is felt, Jesus has declared, it is finished. And you may ask, like I have many times this year, when is God going to do it? Do I got to wait until death? Is my faith just the down payment on a redemption that God put on layaway for me? Unfortunately, my brothers and sisters, the scriptures say no. By the power of the cross, redemption is a present reality. We sang this uh, two, two weeks ago in worship. Psalm 27 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. And I'm thankful for our brother Jonathan who added in the land of the living, because that's the full verse. There have been plenty of seasons in life in which I have, I've held on to that, but I need that last little portion of the verse. I need to know that the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just an end times or eschatological reality. It's not just something that I'm holding on to glory until I get to see the power of Christ manifest, but that I am able to see it in the here and now. And as I minister, as a blood-bought minister of reconciliation, I can say to my brothers and sisters in their season of struggle, there is gospel good news now. And so, my brothers and sisters, I invite you into the struggle, the daily tension of following the Jesus that declares, it is finished over all that has been stained by the curse, trusting that we will see it in the land of the living. Amen.
7: to be here Um, thanks pastor for asking me to speak but you probably didn't need to put me after a professional (laughs) preacher (laughs) Luke 23 46 father into your hands I commit my spirit Matthew wrote that at this time Jesus gave up his spirit So far, Jesus has been directing his words to those on earth. Now that it's finished, he speaks to the Father. In his strong time of need, Jesus reaches upward to the Father with confidence. What effort it must have taken to say in a loud voice, hanging on the cross, in the throes of death. Since he was speaking to God, he could have easily prayed those words. So I believe we were meant to hear this final dedication of his soul. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. With these words, Jesus is quoting Psalm 31, which is often rendered, into your hand I entrust my life. In death, Jesus is entrusting his life to God. He believed that even in death, the safest place for his spirit was in the hands of God. And yet, we should not believe for a second that he couldn't have chosen life at that moment because he was still divine. He had told his angels to stand down, but he could have called them to his rescue. It was always his choice to die. But with these words, he's making an extraordinary statement to the Jews who heard him. He was asserting that there was eternal life. In life and death, we belong to God. Father, into your hands. One of my favorite images is when Moses asked to see God. It's described in Exodus 33. And God agreed but told him he could not see his face. So God placed Moses in the cleft of a rock. And when his glory passed by, God put his hand over the opening to the cave until he had passed. Um, And that has given me comfort over the years um, to... Imagine a hand that is big enough to cover a man standing in a cave. And I imagine myself cradled in those hands. Scripture also describes those hands as mighty and heavy. Those hands uphold us, Psalm 63. They guide us, Psalm 139. We are the work of his hands, Isaiah 64. And no one can snatch us out of his hands John 10. Jesus is showing us the only safe place for our souls is in God's hands. I've had two friends that have battled late-stage cancer this year. One of them, a colleague from Salome Health, where I worked for seven years, she passed away this week. Um, but a few weeks ago, when she had entered hospice and it was clear that she was in the last days of her life. Salome wanted to dedicate an exam room to her in her, in her honor. She was a volunteer health care provider at Salome for over 20 years. Um, and it was like a living memorial service when she came, now weakened to the point of needing to be in a wheelchair to see the unveiling of this room. Many people watched on Zoom from all over the world, but I felt blessed to be there in person. Um, and her business partner, a doctor, spoke about volunteering at Salome with Krista, where almost all of the patients are foreign-born and don't speak English. And he told the story of arrogantly entering the exam room with Krista without first reading the patient's chart and proceeding to speak to the patient in broken Spanish, only to discover that they were Egyptian and spoke Arabic (laughs) and some English. (laughs) And he described being paralyzed with mortification, and turning speechless to Krista, where he saw only compassion in her eyes. And she gently began the examination on her own, but drew him back into the conversation. And he summarized his memorial by saying, Krista always treated me better than I deserved. Is that not our God? Y'all, is that not our God? When we, in our, in our arrogance, or our ignorance, or our brokenness, or our humanness, we mess up so badly that we are paralyzed in shame, we finally turn to our God, and we see nothing but compassion as he gently draws us back into the business of living. This has been a year where many of us have had to face death like never before. I read a statistic that one in three of us have lost someone close to them to COVID. And I know that many in this family have grieved to death this year. This year, having had COVID myself and having these friends battling cancer, I have thought a lot about dying gracefully. I'm someone who uh, doesn't want to allow myself to fall asleep sometimes because I have to give up control while I'm unconscious. So how can I, when my time comes, die gracefully? I've decided that dying gracefully is the same as living gracefully. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, Because I live, you also will live. 1 Peter 2.4 says we are to come to him as living stones, rejected indeed by men, but precious to God. After all, his death was not the first time that Jesus gave up a spirit. He'd been giving up his spirit or committing his spirit into the Father's hands his entire earthly life. And when his days were nearing the end, he said, not my will, but yours. And we too choose a daily habit of giving up our spirit or committing to trust him. It's those little but consistent actions of surrender, of abandonment to the will of God, so that when death comes, it's just another daily decision. Into your hands I commit my spirit. I think it's important for us to sit with the death of Christ to sit in Shiva, if you will, on this Good Friday. But death and life are different sides of the same coin for us, for those in Christ, because it's only through Christ's death that we have Christ's resurrection in life. We can't have resurrection without the death.